0: Whitehead drives to the hole, hangs and won! Isaiah Whitehead ties it up at 67. Outlet pass, Archidiacono, front court, slips, fires and that's it! The Seton Hall Pirates! Seat, Villanova, 69-67, and for the first time in 23 years, they Tournament Champions. For the latest in Seton Hall basketball and Seton Hall athletics, this is Courtside Pirates with Chris Pazes. Miles Powell gives Seton Hall the lead with 1.1 second to go. What a shot by Miles Powell. Thompson shows it. Kale, steps back, lets it fly. Pye! Miles Kale,
1: 84-83.
0: And Seton Hall knocks off the number nine team in the nation. 84-83. What a win for the Pirates. This weekly podcast will recap every men's basketball game throughout the Pirates season. Palm from Tritton, Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes! With special guests along the way, Courtside Pirates who will dive into the Pirates season after every game, giving you my thoughts and opinions as Seton Hall looks to return to the NCAA Tournament. McKnight will inbound, Pow! they throw it up the mambo, and at the buzzer! Oh my goodness! This is Courtside Pirates with Chris Pazes. Welcome and thank you for joining. My name is Chris Pazes, and once again, we have an awesome guest lined up for you today on Courtside Pirates as we are joined by the man that proudly comes from Cleveland, Ohio, John Fanta. John, as you know, is the voice of the Big East Conference and joins today to recap the 2021 Men's and Women's Big East Tournament, preview the NCAA Tournament, and dive into the Seton Hall Men's and Women's Basketball seasons. John and I go way back to our days at Seton Hall while we were both working at WSOU. Now, I have about five years or so on John as he came to Seton Hall in the fall of 2013 while I was starting my MBA, but we worked at WSOU together for two years. I promise you, John was his typical great self. And even though the season ended for the scene Hall men's and women's basketball teams, you will not want to miss what he has to say. As always, if you like what you hear, please subscribe to this podcast and follow along on Twitter at Pazis. That is at P-A-I-Z-I-S for updates and new episode announcements. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and let me know what you think of the work I have done this season on Courtside Pirates. And now... Enjoy this interview with the man himself, John Fanta. Joining me now on Courtside Pirates is the living legend himself, John Fanta. And I'm sure I don't even need to really formally introduce you, but I will anyway. And you've mostly likely heard his voice calling games as a broadcaster, host, and reporter for the Big East Conference, Fox Sports, and the Big East Digital Network. And John covers a wide variety of events and has been the true voice of the Big East Conference since 2017, while making pit stops at the NCAA Tournament Final Four along the way. Fresh off a whirlwind schedule that has had him work overtime with the NBA G League in the bubble, the Big East Women's Basketball Tournament in Connecticut, and just this past weekend, the greatest arena in sports, Madison Square Garden for the Big East Men's Basketball Tournament, and is busy preparing for March Madness. John Fanta, welcome to Courtside Pirates.
1: It is great to be on Courtside Pirates with you, Chris. Thanks very much for having me. I've really enjoyed the podcast throughout the season. Congrats on everything that you've been doing. And seriously, that's the best introduction I've gotten all season. So uh, a credit to you, my friend. It's it's wonderful to be on with you. It gives me 89.5 FM WSOU flashbacks.
0: Yeah, it definitely does. We're going to touch on that in a little bit, but I appreciate the, uh, the well, kind words about the podcast. And I want to go back to really just painting a picture first for you, what this year has been like. Uh, the pandemic has truly altered the way everyone has worked, especially on a reporter aspect. Jerry Carino told me last week when he was on, just the struggles he's had. Um, with everything that you've had to do to navigate, what has access been like for you for games and even traveling for them?
1: Well, it's been limited access, and the travel has been limited to basically – the metropolitan area with a couple of trips here and there to Providence, a trip to Villanova late in the season for an FS1 women's basketball telecast. But I have not been to the Midwest. Um, I got back. I went to Ohio for Christmas for a few days, but for the exception of a couple of days in Ohio for Christmas, about four days, I've basically been in the New Jersey area for the last let's see, since November. So we're talking the last five, six months now. And, and you know what, Chris, um, the, the resources and the, the lack of being able to see people in person has hurt from a relationship standpoint more than anything. We've made the most of the access, understanding that everybody's going through it. I think what people don't fully understand is what I, what I witnessed firsthand last week at the Big East tournament, where I was part of the tier one, folks that were covering the tournament allowed near the floor allowed to interact with the players and the coaches. And so we were all in the same hotel. So I'm in line to test and Kevin Willard's in front of me and, um, to get up at 7am every morning and get that swab up your nose at that time of day. That's, that's quite an awakening that keeps you up. You can't just go back to sleep. It keeps you up because you're thinking about the test and you're thinking about everything you got going on with the tournament and you want to make sure you make it through another day. Um, Luckily credit to the big East. There were no positive tests, no game disruptions. I mean, it says a lot that they were able to make it through 87% of the conference games and then get through the conference tournament. But I think it's exhausting. Um, And it really, this reinforces it credit to these kids, you know, 18 to 22, I'm 25 years old. I'm not that much younger, not much that, not that much older than they are. Uh, I can tell you right now, uh, I'm not playing the games and I'm exhausted um, from the day to night, just rotation. So this has been such a great challenge. I was just talking with Patrick Ewing about if you can get through this season, what can you get through? And he brought up the point of you can get through anything. Um, So it's, it's been hard, um, challenging working remotely. has been so different. More so than anything, you can't see people's facial reactions always. If they're in a mask, you can't tell what the emotion is. And Chris, if I ask a question via Zoom, you're not necessarily getting the social cues that you would get from me in person. So it's just different. You kind of have to walk a tightrope, even more so than normal. It's been challenging, but it hasn't been as big of a challenge as we've seen these players and coaches have had, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a big thing, John. Uh, people don't realize just what is going in day in and day out with the programs. And that's why I've been asking people on the show that have had the experiences with it because I want them to understand that this is not a normal season for these teams. And, and a team in particular that it hasn't been normal for, and they've had their share of adversities is the Seen Hall women's basketball team who had three program pauses this year. And, John, when I look at what this team did, they went into the Big East Women's Tournament, which you were at in Connecticut, red hot. They were absolutely on a tear, and they lost the game against Creighton where they lost 83-76. to And it was a disappointing loss considering that Desiree Moore, Andre Espinosa, Hunter, and Lauren Park Lane combined for 60 points. Did this team, which had so many big accolades this year, get punished by the NCAA committee and not make the tournament because of that loss to Creighton? And what's your thoughts on what the team as a whole did this entire season? Because I think they deserved more praise for what they actually did this year. They had a very good year.
1: Well, not only did the team get punished for the loss to Creighton, but the Big East added UConn and only got two teams in the NCAA tournament. DePaul missing the tournament for the first time since 2002. What does that tell me? It tells me that the schedule in the Big East, because of how firm they were with COVID-19, Chris, and I don't think the best matchups always got preserved on the conference slate, I think it ended up hurting teams in the league. I think it ended up hurting Seton Hall. I think it ended up hurting DePaul. Those are NCAA tournament caliber teams. Seton Hall DePaul at Walsh Gym should have been rescheduled, plain and simple. That game needed to get played. I actually think that Seton Hall shouldn't have played St. John's last Monday of the season like DePaul shouldn't have played Butler. It ended up helping Seton Hall to a three-seed. It didn't help for anyone's NCAA tournament resume. And so as a result, I think that in Big East women's basketball this year, by following COVID-19 to the degree in which they did and following the protocols – maybe more so than other conferences who had football and kind of skated by certain protocols and guidelines. You hurt yourself. You hurt yourself from getting extra teams in. Chris, I would say to you if Seton Hall was a team that was left out and four big East teams got in, we could look at the Seton Hall isolated case, but clearly there's something more to the story here. If only two big East teams made it to the NCAA tournament and DePaul, who's been to everyone since 2002 does not get the call and a bid. So I think that the pirates had won five in a row. They were scorching hot. And sometimes you make it to the conference tournament and the pressure is on you and the pressure got on them. Here's the good news. They're going to bring everybody back next year. I think they're a top 20 caliber team. And I think they're going to hear their name called next year on selection Monday. The hope is, is that Walsh gym is filled. They get a nice non-conference schedule. They bring back one of the best point guards in the country in Lauren Park Lane. You're going to have Elmore, Espinoza Hunter. This team is stacked from top to bottom, and they have one of the best coaches in the conference that doesn't get talked about enough nationally in Tony Bazella.
0: I totally agree. And having really getting back involved with covering the team this year, this to me was one of the best years they've had by far since the 2015-2016 season. And I think that they – Showed what they could do, and on the hindsight, you make a good point. UConn coming in, you would expect another team possibly able to getting seated into the NCAA tournament. They did it. Tell me real quick though, John. UConn, this team, there was no surprise of where they were going to be at the end of the season. But what does surprise me is there was no seniors. There was nine underclassmen, eight newcomers, and seven freshmen. I mean, John, that's just incredible. It's insane what they're
1: doing. It is incredible. And it speaks to the greatness—the greatness that we're watching of Paige Beckers. I mean, this is a generational talent who has stepped into the the fold and, and has already taken the you know the name of Sue Diana, the big names that we've seen in UConn women's basketball history. Uh, so it is ridiculous. It's ridiculous what we've been able to see from Gene Oremas' program, and I think that that for Connecticut. Um, I don't know if they're going to win the national championship this year, Chris, but they, they're going to win it next year, perhaps the year after that. And maybe even the year after that, Paige Beckers is the best thing since sliced bread for my money. This, this lady is special and to be 18 years old and have the maturity that she has as a freshman, you said it, they don't have a senior, but they kind of play beyond their years in the, in the way they approach the game. And it's been really fun to watch.
0: Uh, she reminds me of Maya Moore her freshman year. And I remember watching, and I remember I covered her pretty much her entire collegiate career. She was just poised well beyond her years. Uh, You know, we talked about WSU. She tormented Seton hall every time we faced her. And I I just think I look at what she's doing now and I compare it to what Maya Moore did. So I I can't think of anyone else really to compare it to because that's who I saw firsthand all the time. And I just, I think that's high praise for her and kind of shifting over to the men's side you had a very busy slate uh, before the tournament started. There was the announcements that were made about in terms of the awards. And uh, one of which was Iko Biagru getting the 2021 biggie scholar athlete of the year. Well-deserved uh, clearly uh, has been a presence on the court with his blocks leading the, con- uh, the conference. And then also, you know, in the classroom, obviously, but then what really I think surprised people and maybe not you, so I'm curious to hear your thoughts, is about the three players uh, co-named as Big East Player of the Year honors in Villanova's Jeremiah Robinson Earl, Colin Gillespie, and then Scene Hall's Sandra Mama I keep telling people online that they need to realize is the coaches
1: vote for this. There's nothing fixed about this. If there's three people that tied for the vote, three people tied for the vote. It's been a system in place for the last four-plus decades, and the Big East wasn't going to change it in 2021. There's been enough things changed in this unprecedented year, uh, nor alone in a voting process. So I think for this year in the conference, Chris, it was wide open. If James Booknight plays the full season, I would bet you that he's player of the year in this conference, but he didn't. And so what happened is it creates a wide openness to the player of the year race. And what you had is you had a Villanova team that really had dual leaders in Gillespie, but Robinson always had a sensational season And I think we would all agree that Sandro Mamou-Kelashvili posed the biggest matchup problem for an opposing defense in the Big East. So it didn't surprise me that we saw a three-way tie. I myself would have gone with Gillespie as the outright Big East player of the year. I think that number one, he, he has had a tremendous career for Villanova. He was the heart and soul of the best team in the conference. I'm always a fan of giving the best player on the best team the award. And I also think Uh, that for Villanova to have had, to have had him injured, I thought the coaches might actually show some sympathy, some real sympathy. And we would have seen Gillespie get the majority of the votes. It didn't go that way. He did get three. I was surprised to see another Villanova player also get three, you know, maybe people wanted to see them, them break it down and have the two outlier coaches vote again. But if you do that, you could run into some real political issues there, Chris. And, I think they wanted to do it fair and square and that's why they named the three the co-players for the year.
0: And, you know, I think his presence is obviously missed the second you watch that Georgetown game. Now, Georgetown, in my opinion, John, I know you've been very busy talking to Patrick Ewing, you know, just a quick name drop for him. Their run, in my opinion, is the best coaching performance I've seen since covering Big East basketball in 2009. I think their run is second to what the UConn team did with Kemba Walker and I was there for all those games. Tell me about Georgetown. This team was a team that was projected to finish last in the conference, which in my opinion, preseason polls mean absolutely nothing and doing it the way they did it against the number one team, the number two team, and the number five team. And then also, you know, knocking off teams along the way towards the end. What do you take of what
1: Patrick Ewing and that team did? It's one of the unbelievable stories in the history of the big East conference. For Patrick Ewing, the prodigal son of John Thompson, 49 years to the day in which Coach Thompson was hired by Georgetown to hoist a trophy now as the coach, the greatest single thing you can do for a company, program, organization is to pass the torch to someone you know can do the job. And John Thompson, in 2017 called Patrick Ewing and said, nobody's given you a head coaching opportunity. Just like John Thompson created so many chances for black men throughout his life. He created another one for his prodigal son and that hire, Chris for as much as it has been questioned, like he blocked every shot as a player, Patrick Ewing blocked every shot he's taken as a coach on Saturday night. It was special. It gives me goosebumps. And in an unprecedented Big East tournament with Madison Square Garden mostly empty, the whole reason why the tournament is at the Garden in the first place, Patrick Ewing, when he came into Georgetown, that's when they moved the tournament there, delivered and reminded everybody that there is nothing like the Big East tournament at Madison Square Garden. That is a Hollywood script beyond the normal Hollywood script.
0: Yeah, that was, it was special. Unless if you were a Creighton fan, I don't see how you cannot root for Georgetown in that game. It was one of those moments where you just see it was special and it was going to happen. I didn't think that Creighton was going to get swept off the court the way they did. That was shocking to me. But again, when a team is hot, you don't want to play them in this short stretch. One of the teams that fell into that trap with them was uh, the Hall basketball team, which obviously John, you and I are both alum of. And looking at Scene Hall. They were not good down the stretch. It is very clear. The one player that I thought played fantastic and received honors at the end of the Big East tournament that he deserves was Jared Roden with the performance he had with having 41 points, the amount of rebounds that he had and the three assists. But what went wrong with the scene hall team, John? And is there anyone specifically to blame or is it just that it's in one of those years where it's a COVID situation and some teams are going to get the breaks and others aren't with the way everything's going
1: on this year and just take it for one year as it is? Well, they didn't have a point guard, at least a a great point guard. Uh, They planned on Bryce Aiken being that. He has dealt with injury issues throughout his career. And the single biggest question heading into the season was how healthy would Bryce Aiken be? Well, he got off to a bit of a rough start when we found out he was banged up in the preseason. It wasn't just going to be an easy comeback from that injury last year. And, And, Chris, that just set the tone. You know, Shavar Reynolds, for all the good he's done, it's too much to ask him to be a, a one-man band at point guard. And it's rare in this sport, if you don't get consistent point guard play, look at Quincy McKnight, look at Madison Jones, look at Isaiah Whitehead, look at others who have carried that torch and carried it well. You've got to be able to have play at the one spot. Dante Harris gave Georgetown and He's the Big East tournament most outstanding player. You could argue for a couple other guys, but it shows you what Georgetown thought of him and, and what folks thought of him. So, For me, Chris, the lack of consistent point guard play, the lack of consistency on the offensive end from Miles Kale um, and from certain guys on this team to Kyle Molson, who was unable to really do a whole lot offensively as the season went on, it's not any one guy. It's just Tyree Samuel didn't take a huge leap. I think that the offseason, the previous offseason being so out of whack, Kevin Willard is such a by habit coach and he's a great coach um, who doesn't get enough credit for the job that he's done at Seton Hall, uh, a tough job in college basketball. I don't think that this season is where you say, now I'm making my judgment on how things are going. You can't. You can't do it this year. I think, though, that this team ended up having flaws that they just simply couldn't overcome. And they became very predictable on how they plan to score the basketball. And Sandro Mamukelashvili, as good of a a player as he is, at his position on the floor, he can only do so much. And so I thought that Seton Hall played Georgetown tough. They played Georgetown as tough as Villanova really did. You know, a bad foul on a three-point shot. If Seton Hall doesn't commit the foul, they probably get a look to tie the game or get within one and then foul. Um, So, You know, I I think that for the Pirates, this season is a disappointment because they were in a position to make the NCAAs. Uh, COVID didn't end up impacting them beyond what what they dealt with early on. Uh, So I think that you chalk it up to some of the plans with this roster didn't end up panning out. It's not always going to be roses every year. I do feel as though this is the end of a window for Seedon Hall basketball because I believe that this team will be retooling next year. They are young next year they bring in young talent between paul and weston and others they need to find a transfer or two there's going to be 1500 to choose from that won't be much of a problem to find a couple whether they pan out or not is always a chance you're taking
0: i think i know the answer to this um i personally feel that coach willard and the team made the right decision not going to the nit with everything going on this year with covid the way the season ended being the fact that you won't be playing your first set of games at a home arena, did they make the right call?
1: They absolutely made the right call. When the pandemic first hit, this would be like me telling you um, that you're going to go to a buffet restaurant and sit down inside of it without a mask on and with regular played utensils. And, and I would, and like, I'm not, a, I'm not, Look, wear a mask and stay safe. Wear a mask and stay safe. We cannot totally control the virus. Anybody who thinks we can, I don't know what what you've been looking at. The virus could be spread anywhere. So, Chris, why would they go to play for a trophy that in reality, Seton Hall basketball is beyond? Seton Hall basketball has accomplished a lot more than any NIT trophy would prove. What would it prove? How are you getting motivated for a second-place trophy, a meaningless trophy? And why am I going down to Texas during the pandemic to go bubble up for a couple more weeks? It doesn't make any sense to me. These kids are exhausted. I don't understand anybody who would take an IT berth unless you're near Texas or unless you've got a bunch of freshmen and you think it really could be valuable. This Seton Hall team isn't that. They totally made the right call.
0: I agree. And other Big East teams did the same thing. So there's no yeah, really yeah, surprising.
1: Correct. There's not another Big East team that, that did this. Uh, and, and for those very reasons that I just listed. Now,
0: before we get to the quick NCAA pr- predictions that you might have, I uh, want to do something fun and kind of go through some rapid questions that I've actually asked people online to kind of put in questions that they might have for you might be a couple for me as well, but we're going to do these pretty quick. So just give me your quick answer and a quick reason why. So the first is, what's your favorite restaurant in
1: Hoboken to eat
0: after a long day?
1: <laughs> wow. Um, I, t- I got to tell you, just recently went to Anthony David's in Hoboken, and it was an outstanding meal. Had a Great brunch spot. Great, brunch spot. Great brunch spot. Yeah, good brunch spot, good dinner spot, uh, very good food. Anthony David's would be my submission today. Now, you
0: haven't been able to travel a lot. Uh, when you are able to travel normal, what's your favorite city to, to broadcast and travel to?
1: I love Providence. I love going to Federal Hill. You can't go wrong at Siena, uh, Andino's. I'll tell you, you cannot go wrong at any of those spots. Um, the old canteen, it's got a pink, it's a pink restaurant. It's so funny walking around there. You feel, you feel like you're part of the mafia when you're walking around Providence. Chris, you get to go and watch good basketball and you get to travel about five minutes for Italian food. That's my kind of trip.
0: Who has a better jump shot, John Fanta or Kim Adams?
1: <laughs> well, she played at Penn, but I got the jump shot. <laughs> you All don't right. Have, you don't have to be a great player to have a jumper, huh? You know, I don't, I didn't have to run the floor. You asked me who has a better jump shot. I'll take myself. Fair enough. Uh, this might be a tough one for you. Who, who would you
0: rather see win their respective championship? The Cleveland
1: Indians or the Cleveland Browns? Well, so I was going to just say, if I don't take myself to say I'm a better player, by the way, who who's going to take me? That's so fair. I got to ban myself a little bit. Um, a Super Bowl would be unbelievable. Really, really would be ridiculously incredible. I can't even begin to describe to you what that would mean for people that are close around me. My dad is a Browns lifer. He lives on every down. Um, It would be incredible. I, I, I think that football being king in sports and just football being king in Cleveland, Ohio, it is a football town. Browns game days are like a holiday and we get eight of them a season and hopefully nine if not 10, when postseason games come to Cleveland again, which I don't think is far away. Um, it would be a Browns Super Bowl, Chris, without question. The day that the Cleveland Browns win the Super Bowl, which I think I think is not too far away. I think it's going to happen here over the next couple of years. The window is wide open, and I'm buying Baker Mayfield and these Cleveland Browns. I think they're going to build up their defense. They already have with John Johnson. Uh, they signed a pass rusher today. Watch out.
0: Great place to see a game i 've sat in the front row of the dog pound a couple of years back, so it 's a great place to Cleveland as a whole is a great city to travel to. Uh, Want to go back to what you first said about coming on the show and says you kind of had the, the feeling and memory of WSU. I was trying to think of this and I can't really remember it. The only thing I remember is this kid comes in and by kid, I mean you comes into WSU for the first time and is the most eager, enthusiastic person I've ever seen. Do you remember our first reaction or interaction with one another? Because I'm trying to remember what it was and I couldn't think of it.
1: (laughs) I think you told me to get a glass of water and take a deep breath (laughs) (laughs) with a smile. Of course, you always had a smile, but, uh, but you, you, you got me to settle in, if you will, like settling into a game. I was the young freshman wide eyed, looking all over the place and I needed the veteran in the backcourt to say, Hey, here's how we, here's how things kind of go around here and here's what it'll take to be successful. And, and I think that was our first interaction. I think we did a a sports talk hour and you were on the board and hosting. And so I got to learn about that from you um, and others you know, uh, other great guys that have been a part of WSOU like Clayton Collier and George Belechi and, and other guys that have been tremendous. But I remember our first interaction. I, I just, I just remember your positive energy and, you know, Chris, um, that's the energy that you feel around Seton Hall. I walked into that school knowing nobody and it says a lot about a radio station community, right? Like that's a small part that makes a big impact on the Seton Hall University community. But in that part of the Seton Hall family, you see a lot of people willing to help each other out. And that, I, that's what I remember about my first days at the station, um, where that you, you were always willing to kind of help and say, hey, um, nothing's built in one single day, but we're all team players here. I learned a lot, and I think you would say the same, you learn a lot on how to be a team player at Seton Hall. It's important in life. It, it is. It's so important because you know you. It's not to knock other journalism programs. Uh, people can draw their own conclusions. But uh, but the point is at Seton Hall, good people, teamwork matters, and it, it, that that's what I remember about the seniors uh, from the start of my time at Seton Hall was they were always willing to help. Like, and that's not a it's not tongue in cheek. It wasn't like oh you know these new freshmen are really good. Like we got to keep them from getting games. No, the games are divvied up evenly. Everybody gets their chance to throw the football. That's a really cool thing. WSU has been a great
0: experience for both of us. I think anyone that comes out of WSU feels that way. And that's why we continue to get back in different ways there because of that experience. And in the final question, I guess in rounding this all up, because I know you're a busy man looking at the NCAA tournament, there's four teams from the big East. Who do you think has the best chance of making a deep run?
1: Well, I think that Connecticut has the best chance because they're the best offensive rebounding team in the Big East, and offensive rebounding is such a valuable skill this time of year, especially when you're playing twice in three days. you gotta, you got to have something to negate if you're not having a great shooting night. I think Adama Sonogo's really come on as of late. I know Seton Hall fans cringe when they hear that, but he's averaged 13 points a game over his last four. He's played some really good ball. If James Booknight and R.J. Cole are healthy, UConn is a dangerous team. Now, I don't think Villanova and Creighton are going to get past this first weekend. It would not surprise me. It would not surprise me, Chris Pazes, to see the Georgetown Hoyas as a 12 seed face the 13th seeded UNC Greensboro squad who could beat Florida State. UNCG is a scary mid-major. Could you imagine Georgetown getting an advantageous draw and meeting UNCG for a shot at the Sweet 16? I think there's a world in which that could happen, and it would not shock me if the Hoyas keep riding Patrick Ewing's magic carpet ride in this tournament. They match up fairly well with Colorado. Um, Colorado is a team that has... A dynamic guard McKinley right the fourth, but Georgetown has that with Javon Blair and Dante Harris. And they've got um, a, a, a dynamic senior forward who is solid, but Jamarco Pickett can kind of wipe him out. Colorado does not turn the basketball over much. That's my one concern because Georgetown can turn it over and they want up-tempo. But I think that the, the Hoyas, it's a winnable game for them. It's a winnable game for them. It's friendly for them that they get a a Pac-12 team as the five seed and not like a Texas Tech or a West Virginia or or a Big 12 team as that five.
0: I think Georgetown's got a great matchup, and Georgetown's the only team I have going through to the Sweet 16 from the Big East. And John Fanta, who I'm proud to say, has become the voice of the Big East Conference in a lot of ways. If you do not already follow him, be sure to follow him on Twitter at John underscore Fanta for all the latest Big East Conference news, including his latest work, podcast appearances, interview, you name it. John, my man, this has been great. Appreciate you coming on courtside pirates. Certainly hope to have you on again next season and hope
1: to get in person. Finally together, Chris, let's do it in person. Next time. We'll stop at Anthony David's as well, and we can do it for a, a a full hour, if you will. Uh, Sorry for the abbreviated conversation. Hopefully this works out and thanks to all your listeners, to everybody who listens. uh, Chris, you're awesome at what you do. And I appreciate you. Thanks for your mentorship and your friendship, and it's a pleasure to join you. And as a proud Pirate, I will end with Go Pirates.
0: Thank you again to my fellow Pirate and WSU alumni, John Fanta, for joining me on Courtside Pirates. While the season has come to a close for the Seton men's and women's basketball team, we have one final episode remaining this season on Courtside Pirates. I will be joined on the season finale of Courtside Pirates with WSOU's legendary caller, Nick from Milburn, who will help me close out season one. I can promise you, anytime Nick and I get on the airwaves together, you truly do not know what to expect. Until then, my name is Chris Pazes. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time on Courtside Pirates.